we uh, we didn't follow the sequence, the numerical sequence of the, of the chapters, uh, on purpose because this last uh, lecture is on joints, which includes aspects from bones and also from muscles. So I thought that it was better to wait until we finish with everything so we can have an overview of the joints now that we have reviewed all the bones and all the muscles. So first of all, we need to define what a joint is. Uh, the joint is the point of contact between two bones. That's simple. But not only, there may be um, bone and cartilage, or even bone and teeth. So our teeth in the mandible or in the maxilla, that is also considered a type of joint. It's not only bone to bone. And there are basic components of a joint which are listed in this picture. The two bones, of course. Each bone has an articular cartilage covering. We know that already. Every bone is covered by articular cartilage at the epiphysis. Then we have the joint capsule, which is a fibrous uh, capsule, fibrous tissue that is surrounding and covering this joint. Inside the joint capsule, we see a synovial membrane, which is was described, I remember, like uh, a type of epithelium. Not exactly an epithelium, but it resembles it, like a cuboidal epithelium. And this synovial membrane contains cells that make fluid, produce fluid, which is called the synovial fluid. That synovial fluid provides lubrication, provides or prevents that the two bones get in contact with each other. It's like a cushion in the joint. And then outside the joint capsule, we have tendons that belong to muscles. Uh, we said already that always the muscles and tendons are going over a joint in order to allow the movement of that joint. And there's one more thing here, which is not listed, but is usually present, ligaments. Ligaments that help to fix the joint in different, in different areas and depending on the type of joint. So these are the main components of a joint, general description of a joint, with uh, usually the, uh, all these components are present in any type of joint, with some exceptions. Now, how we classify the joints? There are different types of joints, and we can classify them according to the anatomy and according to the physiology, according to the structure, and according to the function. Anatomically, uh, we classify the joints considering if there is a space between the bones and the type of connective tissue that is around the bones. So it's basically the structure, different structure, and we'll see the different types. And functional classification is in relation to the movement, the type of movement, the degree of movement, the angle that they move. So in those two categories, we can fit all the joints of the body. And this is the classification. The structural, according to the structure, 
There are three main groups that we call fibrous joints. cartilaginous joints and synovial joints. Main features, fibrous joints, bones held together by dense collagen fibers. Cartilaginous, the bones are held together by cartilage. And the synovial joints, the bones are held together by ligaments. And according to the function, these words are used to describe different types of joints and they mean they have different meaning in relation to the movement the type of movement synarthrosis which means immovable These joints don't move amphiarthrosis slightly movable and diarthrosis freely movable So all joints can fit in one of these classifications, either anatomical or functional classification. So let's see some examples for each joint. Fibrous joints, they are held together by fibrous tissue, connective tissue. They don't have cartilage, they don't have a synovial cavity. Example, the sutures. The sutures, called sutures, are joints because they are two different bones. Frontal and parietal bones are different bones and they are kept together, held together by this dense irregular connective tissue membrane. We call them suture or coronal suture or suture joint. Teeth joints are also this type of joints, fibrous joints. It is true that later in life, these, these bones, like the frontal, parietal, and the sutures get calcified, and we see fusion of these bones, but they are usually held together by this fibrous tissue initially. Cartilaginous, there is a cartilage between the bones. Example, pubic symphysis. Pubic symphysis, and the second example, intervertebral discs, those cartilage discs in between the vertebrae. And synovial, synovial joints, synovial joints are held together by ligaments. And the synovial joint, we can recognize most of the structures that we listed at the very beginning. The capsule, synovial membrane, here in the picture, we see the synovial membrane in red. The very fibrous capsule, which is around the joint. In the section, we see just two parts because it's a section. And the synovial cavity in yellow, containing the synovial, the synovial fluid. If you follow, if you follow the synovial membrane in red is it just continues with the blue part which is the articular cartilage so these components help to protect the bones from contact and friction synovial fluid is the one that reduces fr friction provides lubrication 
and helps to absorb the shock, especially uh, joints like the knee joint. The knee joint is one of the joints that support all the weight of the body. And also provides nutrients, the synovial fluid. And by the way, synovial joints are the most abundant type. All the joints in upper limb, lower limb, say shoulder, elbow, wrist, even interphalangeal, in between the phalanges of the fingers and toes, all of them are synovial joints. And by the function, we have these three types in relation to the type of movement. Synarthrosis, we said, immovable. Example, the fibrous joints of the skull. There's no movement here. Amphiarthrosis, slightly movable, like the pubic symphysis. There is movement in the pubic symphysis. Yes, there is movement, slightly movable uh, joint. Uh, we see especially moving during childbirth because it has to give a little bit more room for the passage of the baby through the pelvic canal. And diarthrosis are freely movable. This usually correlates with the synovial joints. Synovial joints are diarthrosis functionally. Shoulder and hip are the most movable joints. They have this system called ball and socket. We're going to see pictures of these two joints. So let's take a closer look to the synovial joints. Here we see all the components. We saw it in the previous picture. Synovial membrane in red. The articular cartilage covering both epiphyses of the bones. The articular capsule or joint capsule and the thick fibrous membrane. What is missing here in this picture are ligaments that are crossing like this. Also muscles going over the joint. The membrane, synovial membrane and the capsule are considered accessory structures because they are going to uh, provide protection, they will provide nutrition like the synovial fluid that is produced by the synovial membrane and there are other accessory structures like here we see these blue structures we're going to call them bursa and we'll see that ligaments are also accessory structures. They are going from bone to bone surrounding the joint like this ligament called transverse humeral ligament, which is connective tissue. And bursae. Bursae is a um, um, plural expression. The singular expression is bursa. They are shown here in blue. What they are fluid-filled structures. They are little fluid bags with, with fluid inside, mixed with adipose tissue, like cushions, like little pads there. And what they do, they minimize friction. And they are present in some places, in some joints, like around the shoulder. 
like in the knee joint, like in the hip joint, joints that have a lot of movement. And they protect. They protect the ligaments, they protect the tendons, they protect the capsule of the joint uh, of constant friction and inflammation. Although sometimes these bursae are inflamed themselves, and we call that problem bursitis. Other accessory structures, we can find them in the knee joint, for instance, and they are called menisci. Menisci is a plural word. Meniscus is the singular word. These menisci are fibrocartilage pads, like discs, providing shock absorption. And they are located in the knee joint, in between the femur and the tibia, inside the joint. Here, this is a picture of them, medial meniscus and lateral meniscus. This is in the knee joint. Fibrocartilage pads that help to protect point contact between the femur and the tibia. And even more, they protect against the damage that can be produced because we bear the weight, or knee joint bears the weight of the whole body. Ligaments are other type of accessory structure which are usually around the joint from bone to bone. Some exceptions, the knee joint has special ligaments that are located inside the joint. And those ligaments are shown here, the, and they are called anterior cruciate ligament and posterior cruciate ligament. They have been cut here, so we can see them. They're called cruciate because they are like this, they're crossing one to another. Commonly known as the ACL for anterior cruciate ligament, PCL for posterior cruciate ligament, and it gives additional protection to the knee joint, provides more stability to the knee joint. Now, the synovial joints. We say they're the most abundant type, and there are up to six different types of synovial joints based on the shapes of the bones that take part in the joint. Not all of them have ligaments in bursae. Some of them are really simple. It's just bone, bone capsule, a little bit of fluid, and that's it. And these are the six types of synovial joints. This is the summary. Let's go quickly and see some examples. First type is called planar joint. Because the surface for articulation is flat. And examples are seen in the foot and the tarsal bones. The tarsal bones like between the navicular and cuneiforms. Planar surface flat surface, and they allow movement. We can move to some point the tarsal bones when we walk, for instance, and it's type of synovial joint. Second type is called hinge joint. Like the ulna with the humerus, works like a hinge. 
as we see in the diagram here. And this typical movement that we can see of the elbow, like a hinge, flexion, extension, and there is a lock, locking position there. When you go straight, extension, complete extension, it's completely locked. You cannot go beyond this point. Synovial joint also. Pivot. Example, the head of the radius with the ulna. Has this movement of rotation. That's why we make pronation, supination, palms downwards and palms upwards. Another type of synovial joint. Condyloid. Example between the radius and the carpal bones, scaphoid and lunate. This is the movement that we make like this, like saying, waving with our hands. This, is, this happens between the radius and the carpal bones, condyloid joints, because one of the surface of the scaphoid and lunate are convex, oval shape, and it fits in that part of the radius uh, connecting to it. Saddle joint, like in the connection between the trapezium of the carpal bones and the metacarpal, metacarpal of the bone. If you see this, you can make these movements here. You can even rotate very much the thumb on the trapezium, the starting at the metacarpal here below. That's this type of joint called saddle joint. And ball and socket, which is the biggest of all joints, synovial joint also. Two examples, the shoulder joint and the hip joint. They allow the most movement of any joint. You can make all movements. You start trying your shoulder, you can do this, abduction, adduction, flexion, extension, circumduction, everywhere. Same with the hip joint, ball and socket. Now let's review some of these movements that I'm, that I'm uh, mentioning. Movement related with, related with some of these joints. Gliding movements, we say that side to side. Angular movements are the ones like flexion, extension. Rotation around one axis. And there are some special movements. Gliding movements, like in between the intercarpal joints. So what I was saying. Gliding movements like this. Angular movements are flexion, extension, which can be described in flexion decreasing the angle. If you consider this position is almost 180 degree, you decrease the angle of that joint and that's flexion. Extension, you increase the angle. Some joints allow hyperextension like a continuation of the extension. Abduction and adduction, difference one letter. But it means abduction, BD, 
is movement away from the midline. Like this, you are abduction. Some, sometimes some people say abduction in order to differentiate the pronunciation. Or you can say abduction or this movement. And adduction with double D is bringing the limb towards the midline. Circumduction, it's like making this, going around. And there are some pictures to explain this. Uh, hyperextension can be seen in the shoulder joint when you bring your flexion, extension, and then you get even more beyond the point of extension, you consider that hyperextension. And you see flexion extension also in the picture. What is the joint, the ankle joint? What's that? The ankle joint? Mm. No, it's not ball and socket, it's the talus with the tibia, talus tibia. And that is convex, it's kind of gliding mixed with a hinge, because you can do flexion extension, you can do inversion, inversion like this to both sides, but not that much. Here we see a couple of pictures for abduction and adduction and circumduction. This movement is showing the foot and leg, but notice that the movement is actually happening up here in the hip joint, like this. The ball and socket of the hip joint is the one that makes this movement of circumduction. Rotation. Like turning the head side to side, like saying no. I think we mentioned this before, is the joint between the atlas and the axis. Or rotation of the shoulder, we can, which can be tried, as the picture shows, like this. You have your upper limb flexed at the elbow and make this movement medial rotation, lateral rotation. Same. For the hip joint, we can do medial rotation, lateral rotation. Actually, these are maneuvers that are used to test some of these joints. And some people can come with shoulder pain, and we try the different movements, medial rotation, lateral rotation, to assess which joint is, is having a problem, or ligaments around the joint, or muscles around the joint can be... Uh, uh, overstretched or torn or inflamed. The rheumatologists are the specialists that know all these joints very well and all the diseases of the joints and know how to differentiate. If someone has shoulder pain, that pain can come from the joint or can come from the ligaments around. The patient just hurts. It hurts here, but the specialist has to determine if that pain comes from the joint, inside the joint, or outside the joint. Most commonly, ligaments are affected. There's the most common problem uh, uh, in shoulder pain, or knee pain, or hip pain, hip joint. Uh, in some cases, it is the joint, like inflammation inside the synovial fluid, synovial membrane, and that's what we call arthritis, when the problem is inside the joint. If it's not inside the joint, we call it 
extra articular inflammation or problem or depending on the condition. Yeah. So would the movement of ear to shoulder um, would that be a gliding movement or would that be a rotation movement? Which one? Ear to shoulder like like that. Oh this one? The lateral, lateral, that happens at the level of the cervical vertebrae, both cervical vertebrae, and that will be, yeah, it will be a gliding movement, a gliding and movement. So chin to chest, is that angular or? Flexion extension, exactly. That's occipital, condyle, and atlas. And even hyperextension of the head. So flexion, extension, hyperextension. Hmm? Are the vertebrae in your spine considered amphiarthrosis? Amphiarthrosis? Yeah. They are amphiarthrosis. Depending on the segment, cervical is more move movable than the thoracic and lumbar. Yeah, this movement is a hyperextension, also in involves the cervical vertebrae. Some special movements elevation, depression, protraction, retraction they refer to specific joints, like we see here elevation and depression related to the temporomandibular joint, or TMJ, between the temporal bone and mandible. Protraction, retraction, also movements of the TMJ. Synovial joint also. Inversion, eversion, dorsiflexion, Plantar flexion, these are special movements of the foot. As we see here, inversion, eversion, that happens at the ankle joint. Dorsiflexion, plantar flexion between the talus and the tibia. There are many ligaments around here. Many ligaments around the ankle joint and around the knee joint because there are very unstable joints if it's not reinforced by ligaments, these, these, these joints are very, very uh, unstable. Supination, pronation, the palms, palm down is pronation, supination, palms up. Opposition is used for the thumb across the hand, like we do this, thumb to index, thumb to middle finger, thumb to fourth and fifth finger. A very important movement. The thumb is very important. Imagine if you didn't have thumb, you wouldn't be able to eat, you wouldn't be able to write, you wouldn't be able to comb your hair, you wouldn't be able to do many things. This movement opposition is very important for our skills, even daily activity, uh, activities of daily living, how we call it. Okay, now let's see some specific joints and mention some uh, features and some highlights about some specific joints. This is a list of most commonly named or most commonly affected by problems, temporomandibular joint or TMJ, shoulder, elbow, hip, and knee. The TMJ is combined hinge and planar joint mandible and temporal bone, and it's the only joint in the skull that is movable. 
between the mandible and the temporal bone. This TMJ sometimes gets inflamed, especially in people that have uh, disalignment of both upper and lower teeth, or during the process of correction of this with braces, there is a disalignment, or better say realignment, and the TMJ sometimes was not well aligned, and the person suffers pain in both TMJs or in only one. That, that can be treated and is actually treated by the specialist during the process of correction of the alignment between the teeth. But since the location is right here in front of your ears, if you put a hand or finger here in front of your earlobe and you open your mouth, you will feel like a depression as soon as you open your mouth. That is a TNJ. You are feeling the condylar process or condyle of the mandible. There is sliding when you open your, uh, your mouth, you're moving the mandible. And sometimes this pain can radiate to the head, to the ear, and give very, very um, um, uh, not common conditions of patients complaining of pain and the migraine type pain sometimes, and it's the TMJ. The shoulder joint, it's a ball and socket between the humerus and the scapula. But this ball and socket is not, uh, better say, the socket is not complete. It is partial, semicircular. It's not whole socket. It is um, surrounded by a lot of muscles here, and one of the muscles that is running around the joint is the tendon of the biceps. Remember, the biceps have two heads. The long head of the biceps, if we follow it, it goes this way around the head of the humerus and it will attach to the upper border of the scapula. And the articular capsule is surrounding all this ligament, I mean all this tendon, the long head of the biceps. There are bursae here, like the subacromial bursa. So when someone has shoulder pain, most commonly affected places are the tendons, ligaments, and the bursa. Before thinking about some arthritis in the shoulder, which can be present, but the first we think about the ligaments, tendons, there might be a tendinitis of the biceps, or a bursitis in the subacromial bursa, because excessive movement, different types of activities, occupations that makes you lifting weights or do things that Constant movement of the shoulder joint may inflame these, um, these structures. The elbow joint is also surrounded by many ligaments, as we see here. There are ligaments that go around the head of the radius, so wrapping the, the radius and provide like a sling. Sometimes this can be dislocated and the head of the radius come out of that, the dislocation of the head of the radius, because excessive pronation, supination forced. And there's a bursa here in the olecranon process, at the elbow. Sometimes patients come with a little ball here and they think it's a foreign cold or infection of the skin. It's actually the bursa that is inflamed. And it's supposed to be here to protect constant friction and this is the most common point on contact over surfaces like tables and things. So this may be inflamed sometimes because of excessive uh, friction.
And the hip joint is a huge joint. This is a big one. The socket is here, almost three quarters of a sphere. And the head of the femur fits and gets locked inside. There is a ligament that connects the head of the femur to the acetabulum. And that's why in the head of the femur we have this marking that we have seen as and called fovea capitis. And the head of the femur, that's a place for that ligament of the head of the femur to connect to the acetabulum, which is that socket in the pelvic bone. And around, surrounding the joint, you see ligaments, which are very strong ligaments. Iliofemoral, ischiofemoral, and pubofemoral, which is in the anterior view. So from each of the pelvic bones, ilium, ischium, and pubis, goes a ligament to the femur. It's easy to remember, iliofemoral, ischiofemoral, and pubofemoral. And it's necessary, they are very strong in order to protect that joint, which is very, very big. Knee joint. The knee joint is another joint that is very important. It is well protected, as you see here in this picture. Anteriorly, we find the patella, or kneecap, which is in the middle of the tendon of the quadriceps. And that provides anterior protection to that joint. Muscles, very powerful muscles, like the vastus medialis, vastus lateralis, the tendon of the femoris, quadriceps femoris, both, I mean, the four muscles. And ligaments like fibular collateral ligament, tibial collateral ligament, which are placed in both sides. Tibial collateral is medial, fibular collateral is lateral. These two ligaments are very important. They provide stability to the joint. And besides, there are other uh, fibrous ligaments like the retinaculum here that are covering the anterior surface of the joint. But the tibial collateral and medial and fibular collateral are the most important ligaments in both sides. Posteriorly, posteriorly we see also ligaments like the oblique popliteal ligament, which is a ligament that is going to protect the posterior surface. And here we see partially the capsule seen from an a posterior view. This is a sagittal section of the lower limb at the level of the knee joint where we can see all these structures. And in blue, we see the bursa, suprapatellar, prepatellar, and infrapatellar, above, in front, and below the kneecap or patella. This bursa are the ones that get inflamed, usually because of excessive movement, sports, and produce pain. We can also have a view of meniscus, a little bit of meniscus that are seen here between the tibia and the femur. So, Dr. Yeah. how do you deal with the inflammation? Is it just icing and just 
Yeah, uh, any type of extra-articular condition, inflammation, tendinitis, bursitis, they are well treated by rest, anti-inflammatories, ice, but the main thing is rest, which is very hard to do sometimes. Yeah. It's only one tendon that is practically wrapping the patella. Yeah, so the patella is in the middle of the tendon. It's not uh, split in two portions. It's all covered by the, by, by, the, by the tendon. The patella is all covered by the tendon. That's why it's called a sesamoid bone, because it runs in the middle of a tendon. Initially, we describe it as a sesamoid bone. And this view is to appreciate the ligaments inside the knee joint. This is a joint in flexion. We remove the patella and the joint is open. So we can see the surface of the femur, lateral condyle of the femur, covered by articular cartilage, medial condyle. And here we go, we see the ACL, anterior cruciate, and PCL posterior cruciate. They are called cruciate because they are like a cross. And they stabilize the knee joint very well. Because imagine this, if you, if you see it, the bones again later in the lab, you see the tibia is almost flat surface. It's a little concave. But then it comes both contacts of the femur. And there has to be ligaments around and inside to prevent the sliding movement here back and forth and side to side. And that's the role of the ACL and PCL. The menisci are two, lateral and medial, which can also be seen here. Lateral meniscus and medial meniscus. And don't forget these two ligaments, which are very important. The fibular collateral which is lateral, and the medial collateral, or tibial collateral ligament, which is medial. This is a dissection of the knee joint where we can see the menisci. and the ACL, PCL, which have been sectioned in order to see the both. And this is a posterior view. You see the condyles of the femur here. Femur, femur, and the tibia is this bone right here. Another view of the menisci. One and two, and the PCL and ACL have been cut also inside the knee joint. This this is an anterior view. This is anterior view. You can see the the femur here, condyle, 
And another view of the ACL, PCL, fibular collateral from the head of the fibula to the epicondyle um, of the femur and the tibial collateral in the other side, which is medial. The ACL and PCL ligaments are injured sometimes in sports because of excessive extension or excessive flexion. There is a excessive flexion of the, of the knee joint and these ligaments are torn or overstretched or partially torn. And the way to assess this is with this maneuver, placing both thumbs on the kneecap and with the rest of the fingers and hands, try to pull back and forth the leg, the tibia. And if we find what we call the drawers, the drawer sign, which is seen here, this is initial position, and then the drawer sign, you can see the curvature there. So it's like pulling a drawer. It's like pulling a drawer, you can pull back and forth the tibia. And that's a sign of compromise of the ACL and PCL. That is corrected by surgery, and usually laparoscopic surgery to just make a, two openings in the side of the knee joint and with a scope and special instruments, they can fix the problem, uh, repair menisci if necessary, and uh, especially in injury, sports, sports injury. Aging process. The joints suffer with the aging process, especially after 80 years old, but it may happen before. Degeneration, degeneration in these and these joints, usually knees, hips, elbows, and shoulders. Now this is part of the aging process, so that means that everyone will have this. Everyone will have it at different stages of life. And sometimes it's it gets worse depending on the type of chronic disease I may have, if they do or do not do exercise, uh, overweight, presence of overweight. It depends on many factors. But that problem is called osteoarthritis or osteoarthrosis. Osteoarthrosis is the process of degeneration. When it gets worse and gets inflamed and painful, it's called osteoarthritis. What happens is a problem of the articular cartilage. It gets weaker along the time, and especially if factors, determinant factors like lack of exercise or overweight or just genetics, the articular cartilage gets um, deteriorates uh, sooner than, than it should be. And also, it goes accompanied by decreased production of synovial fluid. Plus, we have to add the aging effect, the effect of aging on ligaments, which lose elasticity. They're not that elastic as during youth. So all that determines limitations of the angle of movement, pain, and um, uh, decrease uh, activity in these joints. Mm -hmm. 
you know, even natural supplements and vitamins that are touted to help with the joints. Do they really, really help? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, what happens is for the cartilage to be healthy, um, there are many factors, as I said. One of them is nutrition, of course. And these products that we mentioned when we study connective tissue, the hyaluronic acid, chondroitin sulfate, which are components of the matrix in the connective tissue, and we're talking about our cartilage, we're talking about connective tissue. And so if you see commercial products that say chondroitin sulfate, hyaluronic acid, MSM, all these are usually sold and people buy it a lot. There's a rationale for that. There's a rationale for that and actually there are studies for that that show that the intake of these supplements, long term, it will not prevent completely, but it will slow down the process of osteoarthrosis. And some people you see changes. You see changes actually after they take these products for six months or more that they will not get cured of the problem. If they have already osteoarthrosis, it is there. Nobody will fix that or regress, revert the process. But it will slow down. And sometimes they say that it doesn't hurt so much. It helps. Yes, actually it helps. But it won't fix the problem completely. And um, now this has to be good understanding of that because sometimes people think that these products will cure them, and that is not true, maybe disappointing, but it helps, especially if we're at the beginning, like 50-something, 60-something years old, and we start taking these supplements, and well, yeah, it makes sense that probably that will help us when we get to 70s, and uh, we won't have a dramatic course of osteoarthrosis. But when the process is very advanced, osteoarthrosis that has not been treated properly and it takes like five, 10 years, the only way to correct that is to replace the joint. And that's where hip replacement, for instance, are very useful. And the reason why this is performed is mainly because there is limitation in the movement and chronic pain. Those two things are the, the factors that determine if a hip replacement is, is needed. And of, of course, the health of the patient. Sometimes patients have very, uh, very severe disease, chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, and uh, hip replacement is an option, but not so soon. Perhaps we need to take care of the other diseases first and then think about hip replacement. But that happens in the head of the femur and acetabulum. There are different types of procedures, but these are some examples. The acetabulum is replaced. It's artificial acetabulum. So what they do is come and open, and uh, these uh, orthopedic surgeons are the ones that perform this, and they actually clean up all the cartilage from the pelvic bone, where the acetabulum is, because usually the cartilage is all torn and irregular surface and all destroyed. And they put an artificial acetabulum. And they cut off the head of the femur and replace it with an artificial device. A metal shaft that has a head and goes attached into the femur, into the diaphysis of the femur. And then 
we have a new, brand new joint, which works pretty well. And one of the most important things is that it, as I said, it helps to increase the movement, the range of movement, and decreases the pain also. Uh, pain is something that is the reason why many people go to uh, knee replacement and hip replacement. Same thing in the knee. In the knee, what they do is they remove the surface of the femur, of the condyles, that's where the articular cartilages are, which are usually very destroyed. The tibial surface is also removed. And then, that's where they put the replacement. Like in this case, there's a femoral component. It's practically replacing both conducts of the femur and the tibial component. And a spacer that was, will work as a menisci, a plastic spacer in between. And this tibial component goes on top of the tibia and we have the knee replacement. And also some patellar component, an artificial patella. And it's a brand new joint that will help very much. Sometimes they has to be replaced twice after five years, after 10 years, it depends. It depends. One of the most common reasons is people having knee replacement, then gain weight later and the knee replacement, it starts getting, starts to deteriorate the bone around it. And it's kind of loose and it starts making or producing pain. And at some point it may have to be removed and replaced with a different, with a different device. But that's not the case. Usually these devices last for 10 years at least without any problem. Yeah. Do they have to remove the tendon right there as well? Or do they just work behind it? They work around it. They work around it and put the plastic uh, device there, the replacement.